Welcome to the Investing Tutor Podcast, the show for professionals looking to master the most up-to-date strategies needed to build wealth and provide a stable financial future. Here's your host, Dr. Hans Boateng. Hey everyone, Dr. Hans here, the Investing Tutor, and I have an incredible episode for you today. Joining me for the discussion is Gaff from Wolf Financial, Kevin from Building Bread. And we decided to uh, go ahead with this dialogue because we had seen a tweet by Gav on Twitter and he put out a few different options in terms of you know investment portfolios for the next, let's say, three to five years. And it was like, okay, which option would you pick? So then I decided to uh, bring... Uh, you know, the conversation off of Twitter here so that we can dive into, you know, which portfolio option we would each opt for and why. So before we go ahead and dive in, I'd have each of them introduce themselves. So Gav and Kev, you know, Gav, you could go first if you want to take about a minute to kind of quickly introduce yourself and then we move over to Kevin and then we'll we'll take it from there. Sure. Thank you for having me on, Doc. Appreciate it. My name is Gav Blacksburg, and I'm the COO at Wolf Financial, in addition to running our social medias. My background's in finance. I have a bachelor's in finance, and I've worked at a couple different firms, such as Goldman Sachs and Versa, doing private equity, private wealth management. Now I am working full-time on building a startup. We're building a all-in-one financial services app, so a social media combined with a brokerage and a research platform. And I just have a lot of fun running our Twitter and interacting with our followers. So that's what takes up most of my time. I think that's most about me. Yeah, Kev, uh, I know you've you know been on the podcast a few times, but uh, please reintroduce yourself to individuals who might be uh, listening or watching this that that don't know you. Yeah, my name is Kevin Matthews II. I'm a top 100 financial advisor and best-selling author. I recently managed over $140 million in assets in New York City. I um, have a bachelor's degree in economics and a master's in technology commercialization. So understanding how we create new technologies and take advantage of them from an economic perspective. And again, thank you for having me. I'm really excited about this conversation. Absolutely. So for those listening, here are the options with the portfolio. Okay. So option A, okay. So portfolio A has Square, Palantir, DraftKings, and Bitcoin. Okay, so that's portfolio A. Portfolio B has C Limited, NVIDIA, Etsy, and Ethereum. Okay, so that's portfolio B. Portfolio C has Google, Upstart, Moderna, and Cardano. Okay, so that's portfolio C. And then portfolio D has Tesla, CrowdStrike, Apple and Dogecoin. So that's portfolio D. So uh, Kevin, we'll start with you. With these four portfolio options to invest over, let's say, the next three to five years, what was your choice and and why did you settle on that portfolio? And and when you pick your choice, kindly just re-mention the names of the the holdings within that portfolio so that our listeners can follow. Yeah. So I'll first start off by saying this is a 
number one, a brilliantly worded tweet. So Gab, shout out to you, because this was really difficult, at least for me, because there was at least one of my favorite companies in every single portfolio group. So I had to really kind of pick and choose which one I thought would perform best or be best for me and my risk tolerance. So I chose Portfolio B. Again, it was really, really tough. I had C Limited, NVIDIA, Etsy, and Ethereum. And the, a bit of the logic that went behind this were I didn't see any any weaknesses for it. So, for example, while I understand how Dogecoin really took off this year, earlier this year before the Saturday Night Live performance, um, I also knew that it did have its weaknesses in Dogecoin. And what I was really looking at is which one of these companies or which one of these assets in each of these portfolios could I trust the least? And in that category, I trust Ethereum. I don't have to worry about anything anything there. NVIDIA is an obvious choice, C-Limited, um, and Etsy too. So for me, it was this is the one that has the smallest weakness and has the a decent upside. I think obviously the more you try to make, the more that you have that risk of loss as well. So I tried to hit what I thought was, was a solid play that didn't have any weaknesses. And for me, I think um, Portfolio B had the smallest chance or the, the the best chance of, of doing that, but by the smallest margin. Because again, it was very hard for me to kind of pick and choose between the four. Absolutely. And Gav, we'll come over to you. What's your option of the portfolio that you'd, you'd, you'd move forward with? I'm in the same boat. Portfolio B is my choice as well. There's definitely a lot going for it. You have C Limited, which is maybe my favorite stock out there. I actually bought more of it today on that 5% dip. And then you have NVIDIA, which is just a stock that I continue to watch and wish I had more of, you know, and just continue to see that soar. And with the chip shortage, with the way that the world's going, semiconductors, there's only going to be a higher demand. And they're a leading company. They have a great CEO. So I just am very comfortable putting money in those hands. And then, you know, with the other two, I think Etsy here is maybe the, the lesser of the group, but still a powerful stock in and of itself. I do own Etsy stock. I believe it's up a decent amount. Um, last I checked, certainly beating out some of its competitors. Yeah, Etsy's been really, really nice. You know, over the last year, almost 100% gain. I think that there's a real marketplace for uh, those household, you know, items and ha- homemade items, things like that. And then Ethereum with the blockchain and everything, it's just has so much built on it with those smart contracts that even though there may be other technologies, if they can get out Ethereum 2.0, we could see a really, really nice bump. So, I mean, I 100% agree with uh, the thought process. When I was looking at this, I opted for Portfolio A. So for those that are listening, um, Square, Palantir, DraftKings, and Bitcoin. So the reason for my opting for Portfolio A, first and foremost, is because of Bitcoin and Square. I see Square as you know, one of those financial companies that is incredibly vertically integrated. And I see it as being able to take a lot of market share in the future, you know, in so many avenues. I, I believe they just purchased, was it Klarna or no, Afterpay. So they just purchased Afterpay. So then they are going to be rolling out a buy now, pay later um, option, you know, at Square, looking at how Jack is incredibly passionate about Bitcoin. I know how, I know he's going to be integrating so many services that will be able to leverage Bitcoin, you know, through Square. 
Now, looking at the other options, I see how Ethereum could be, you know, such a phenomenal pick. But, and I think we can discuss this further and listening to, you know, recent um, talking points by Gary Gensler, you know, the SEC uh, governor, you know, there's this question of whether Ethereum is able to make or, or exceed the Howey test of whether it's a security or not, right? And that's something that I'd love for us to discuss. So the risk there with option B was, you know, if the SEC moves forward to take on ETH as a possible security, how does that impact that uh, portfolio? Whereas with Bitcoin, Gary Gensler, the SEC chair has made it clear that he is, you know, he pretty much um, admires Satoshi's invention, right? And it is mainly the decentralized cryptocurrency. So Square and Bitcoin was really the reason why I opted for Portfolio A. But then let's look at Palantir and DraftKings. Specifically for DraftKings, the fact that they are are in the process of rolling out an NFT um, product you know, proves to me that they can gain a ton of market share there, right? So I'm not necessarily looking so much at their gambling business, but I'm really focused on that NFT marketplace that they are working on, right? Last month, OpenSea had about $3.4 billion worth of NFT transactions. What is the future going to look like when DraftKings is bringing in revenue from that market segment? Palantir, you know, brilliant company. In terms of, you know, stories about how their software kind of targets underrepresented groups. So I'm a little bit hesitant with Palantir, but I was having this conversation with a friend and the friend was like, hey, um, that wasn't the intent of the software. It is just being used by certain, uh, you know, let's call them certain groups in that manner, right? So for example, if you give that software to uh, police officers and they program it in a particular way, then it's going to fulfill their bidding. So then, you know, this friend was trying to convince me that I shouldn't look at Palantir a certain way. It's pretty much just the software and its use is dependent on the individual who has access to it. Uh, But so pretty much, um, this my thoughts. Uh, that's why I went with A. I'm incredibly bullish on Bitcoin. I believe it's it's the main decentralized cryptocurrency. I believe Square is gonna do phenomenal. DraftKings NFT um, potential and Palantir is kind of like an add-on, uh, you know, to the portfolio. Yeah, I feel very strongly, probably the, the exact same level you feel about Square. As you as you may remember, um, when we did the 2021 Investing Yearbook, I had Square as like my breakout stock for the year. <laughs> so uh, incredibly bullish there. I like the leadership. And I think, again, with the NFT market, like they also bought Tidal to kind of get into that NFT music space, perhaps for, for certain experiences whenever this COVID thing is over. So they, they've got a lot of potential and they are 
I would say really leading that space in a way, whereas a PayPal, for example, is kind of falling behind their footsteps and trying to, to be what Square is. So yeah, I mean, to see one of my favorite stocks this year, and Google's my other like second favorite stock, um, it was hard to kind of split myself between which one I wanted to go with, but I totally agree with you on Square. I can make some points to what you said on Ethereum versus Bitcoin, and yes. why I'm not worried about mm-hmm. Ethereum. So first off, the history of this case goes back to 2018, where Hinman, who was at the time the SEC regulator, stated that he did not believe that Ethereum was a security. And now they are actually, they just deposed him. So he's going to actually have to come and testify to that 2018 statement. And because he got deposed, he put out an affidavit stating that that was his personal opinion, that it was not actually from the government. But the reason why I'm not worried is when you just take a look into really um, what Gensler, his specific wording and what he's been saying. Well, he said that there's a strong case for both of them, but particularly Ripple, that they are non-compliant securities. And what his main concern is, is just decentralization, right? That's the whole idea and concept here is we want to be decentralized. And the only argument against Ethereum not being decentralized is that the first ETH tokens were sold before Ethereum's foundational network was functional. However, when you look at it now, it's become far more decentralized over time. Uh, you know, the asset is held through many, many different wallets, many, many hands. So there's a really, really difficult case to bring here and say that this is not decentralized versus XRP Ripple, which is held, a high percentage of it is owned by Ripple, right? Like they're the ones who are owning this and that's why they're controlling it. It can be manipulated. So just based on how far out Ethereum has spread and it's, it just gives me much more confidence that it's not going to be one that is going to be brought down by this. Gary Gensler, if you look at his specific wording, I think his targets ripple much more than Ethereum. Um, so I'm confident on, on its future and potential. Yeah, it's, um, and you know, for disclosure, I, so typically I say about 60% give and take of my portfolio is like a Bitcoin and, and almost 40% is ETH. So I'm, I don't hate ETH because I believe that if ETH really um, bypasses this potential scrutiny, I don't believe it's going to have that scrutiny, but let's, let's just say there is a scrutiny of ETH. If it bypasses that scrutiny um, and um, you know, it's not considered a security, I'd flat out say ETH has an incredible potential even the possibility of, of flipping, you know, Bitcoin, right? Um, because when you look at, you know, the potential with ETH2 and um, so many things that you can build on top of ETH. And for those who don't know the story, Vitalik Buterin, the creator of ETH, pretty much was very passionate about Bitcoin. And then he went off because he just felt like Bitcoin could do like one thing really well. Right, which was to serve as digital money. Whereas he wanted Ethereum to be able to do multiple things or to be the operating system or the app store upon which so many different applications could be built. So in in essence, there there's so much that Ethereum can do, and we don't even know it, about it yet, right? Um, and individuals in the Bitcoin community would argue that, well, we can build a layer two or different layer two solutions on top of Bitcoin, which is, you know, which is in fact th- uh, true. Uh, but then it's just how versatile Ethereum is 
which is, um, you know, incredibly um, exciting to see and exciting to watch. So um, transitioning, why didn't any of you opt for D? With the understanding that Tesla, right? I understand like the whole Dogecoin thing is 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 a part of the option for D. And for those who uh, you know can't see this in front of you, so Portfolio D has Tesla, CrowdStrike, Apple, and Dogecoin. So I mean, Tesla and Apple. If individuals see this, they'll say, "Oh wow, there's like you know a lot of safety, right? Specifically with Apple." In, in this investment portfolio, whereas Tesla provides them with incredible upside in terms of growth potential, right? Um, CrowdStrike is a phenomenal cloud security company that uses AI to kind of detect, you know, um, hacks and, and intrusions into, uh, you know, internet systems, if you will, to keep it simple. But the, I guess the question might be potentially doge, right? <laughs> and there are some individuals who say th- that we should look at doge as like a community. And if a community you know, is passionate about something, we shouldn't necessarily say that it doesn't have value. So what are your thoughts about Portfolio D? Is it doge that kind of kept you away from it? Because that was, in all honesty, my potential second option. Yeah, I'll I'll start with that one. It those was my first red flag because the parameter for the question was for the next three years. And yes, a community can rally around one asset for a month, maybe six months, maybe even a year. But can it survive for that long? And we've seen using Bitcoin as somewhat of a case study where you've seen these huge waves about every two and a half, almost three years where you see this peak and then it crashes, you see another peak and it crashes and it slowly goes up. But for Dogecoin, I was like, I, I don't know. I, it, it's, it's a bit of a risk. But also you have the double Elon risk here too that I was personally looking at. Because as we've seen, yes, Tesla has grown an incredible amount. I think it's a great company. However, with one tweet, you could sync both Dogecoin and Tesla in one tweet from the same person. So that was a risk that I was looking at as well. Um, obviously, I love Apple. I own Tesla. I own Apple as well. Um, but another part that I was a little bit concerned about um, was how is Tesla going to continue to respond as you have perhaps a General Motors or even a Ford entering more into this space and has a little bit more capacity to compete? Tesla right now is more of a luxury brand, obviously, for you know based on their price point. Ford is more of a an every person, every man, every woman type of car, and they may get squeezed a little bit for that market. So I'm just curious as to how that will go for Tesla, but it was really the Elon Musk double risk that I was trying to avoid here. Phenomenal points. How about you, Gav? So I was I was kind of playing towards that Elon Musk part to, you know, tempt people towards it for sure. That was a large part of the ideology there. I see it as an extremely high upside, high downside play. With this one, I've been long Tesla since 2018, around $250 pre-split. So it's definitely been something that you know I've seen move, but I agree with you that it's time for their next step of innovation. They're now not a car company. They're an energy company. They're doing a whole bunch of different things, but I'm, I'm excited to see more of those chargers around. I'm excited to continue to see improvements, right? Their, uh, what was it? Their gap EBITDA was up like a thousand percent or something year over year. Like, let's see that continue out of the pandemic. Um, so I just want to see, you know, more improvement from there. And then with the Dogecoin, right? I think it's 
there's certainly an upside play to it, right? It could be at a dollar, who knows, uh, in a few years. But again, right, like you said, um, could instantly crash. It could be highly affected by uh, world events, social media events, things like that. Um, I think what you know takes me away from that is that portfolio in general is that besides Apple, it is, and I guess I guess CrowdStrike, which I obviously misspelled CloudStrike, but um, there's just less fundamentals to go off of with that type of portfolio. And you're relying more on that community-based um, type perspective, um, which for me is not something I do over three years, right? I do it over a week or two. Um, you can see my tweets. I ask people for short squeezes. I have four different option plays going right now, but I'm not holding any of them for more than a month, right? So that's the point. So Gav, I'm curious, how did you find out about crypto and you know, what are your thoughts about this new digital asset space? Found out about crypto back in 2017 at that initial spike when it started moving upwards. Because uh, I had several friends that were holding Bitcoin, Litecoin, uh, some other assets such as that, downloaded Coinbase right at the peak of 2017. And, you know, got didn't, didn't lose much, lost a couple hundred bucks, but didn't really make much. But started taking a look at it around then. Um, I don't think I fully understood it until really this year when I actually, so on the Wolf app itself, the Wolf app is a social media where people can come and they can chat. And there was a person on there who was just like extremely hard pushing Bitcoin. And this was Bitcoin was at around 10,000 at this point. So, you know, you're 5X now. Um, And they were just like, I am going 50X leverage Bitcoin, have fun staying poor, you know, all that stuff at us. And they were just telling us like, this is the way you need to be doing this. And I was like, okay, like, let me actually talk to you about this. You seem very passionate. I got on a call. They convinced me to buy some Bitcoin. Um, and they were just like so into it and had their use cases and backups and from where it is now, the having all those things. And I think that, you know, they got me into it. And then I was doing a lot of my own research and, you know, going through online and going through people that I was talking to. And then really my knowledge got buffed out when back in like May-ish, maybe like towards that spike, I had a guest on my podcast. His name's David Zaylor. And he actually is, I think, one of the preeminent uh, knowledgeable figures on Bitcoin. He's written over a thousand articles on it. And he had been mining Bitcoin since pretty much 2009, 2010. Um, He'd been involved and he was, his full-time job is as a reporter for a uh, crypto column. So I just pelted this guy with questions. We did two episodes. Each episode went about 50 minutes. And I was really able to dig in um, to not just Bitcoin, but also Ethereum, Solana, blockchain, MetaMask, you know, DeFi, every single aspect we dug into. We even went more time than I could even put in the pod. And, you know, he convinced me really like that this was, you know, a great, you know, 30 year hold. And I was getting in early, um, explained blockchain to me. As in, you know, an understanding of you're basically taking money and allowing it to be programmable, right? Like that's, I think what people need to get in their head is you're taking money and adding like the programmable effect. Um, Obviously there's different things you can do with blockchain, right? A lot of different areas, but like with an NFT, with other things like that. And, you know, convinced me to get in on some things, which was great. Like I got in on Solana uh, because of him. And now that's up 400% from where I bought and a couple of others. So um, that was where it, it came up. But, you know, I learned new things every single day. It's it's phenomenal talking about Solana and this is you know quite hilarious. So I'm I'm a big long-term investor. Kevin knows like we preach long term 
And um, I would say about three weeks ago, I sent, I converted my Solana to ETH and then purchased NFTs. And after Solana like went up a hundred percent, and my NFTs haven't moved in value. And every si- single day, I'm like, Hans, what was wrong with you? Like, why did you do that? <laughs> you know, it's so like once again. So for anyone listening. <laughs> Whenever you get into any, you know, type of investment. So it's it's interesting because my philosophy with long-term investing, which I also do, I have that mentality with Bitcoin and ETH, right? But I was like, oh, instead of hold all of these altcoins, which I had like Solana, I had Polygon, you know, Cardano and others. I was like, ah, oh, let me just convert this Solana and Polygon to to ETH so that I can get into NFTs. And then we see Solana go up like 120% three weeks after that. <laughs> that was a phenomenal lesson. So you are, whenever you invest, even in digital assets, even if it's altcoins, consider having a long-term perspective. Even if you're tempted to go buy NFTs, don't do it. Don't don't convert your long-term investments into NFTs. (laughs) Hold on to them, okay? This is from personal experience. (laughs) Gav, have you, or even Kevin, have you, did you see the NFT kind of like hype that happened in August? And were you tempted to explore that, that, that field? I was tempted to explore it more for like my own learning. So I own, I created an NFT and then I own one. And it was just for me to see how this works, what the hype is. But I wonder, and y'all feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. I wonder how many regular people were profiting from NFTs because we've saw tons of New York Times articles and already rich and famous people who were selling NFTs for, for tens of millions, but I didn't really see regular people in that space making money from NFTs the same way we saw it for, let's say, Dogecoin. Like Everybody left and right, if you had Dogecoin, you made money for the most part, or you, at least you were involved. They have T-Space for some reason. Well, I guess it's a little more complex, honestly, but I haven't really seen that that same thing. So I'm the hype was there, but I don't know if the hype was real for the majority of people. So that's a question that, that I have. But yes, I did get in on two of them, created one, own one. And I'm really just kind of experimenting, throwing money away a little bit. And I think it was less than $500 total just to see how it works and to really learn more. Because that's my thing. If it's new, I want to get in. I want to learn and understand and then put out you know, more research, more opinions, and really talk from experience as opposed from the outside looking in. Gav, how about you? Yeah, so I was definitely very involved with it because I'm on a lot of spaces. And so a lot of people talk about this stuff. And I should have seen it coming. I got reached out to by a friend ahead of time. He said, I, you know, this is going to be the next wave. This is going to happen next month. I see this coming. I'm getting ahead of it early. And I was like, cool, I'll follow your lead. And then followed from a little bit of a distance, you know? And so I've been gifted to NFTs and I purchased one NFT, also a learning lesson. Um, Let's say I was supporting a friend. I don't think that thing's going to go up in value. Um, I spent total about $500 to initialize my wallet and do all those different little things and gas fees and stuff like that. 
Um, I am actually working on a collection right now um, that I'm actually going to do through Polygon versus Ethereum so that people don't have to deal with gas fees. Um, so I'm working on that right now. And basically my idea was I saw all these NFTs being bought and talked about by people in the stock community, but I didn't see any NFTs that were like stock themed. So I decided I was going to make a collection of NFTs that were stock themed. So that's what I'm working on right now. It's going to be like 100 of the most popular stocks as like NFT artwork around that stock. Um, so I think it'll be something interesting and I'm not trying to make a ton of money off of it. I think we'll probably do some donation to charity um, within there. But when you say not seeing ordinary people make money off of it, I'm not sure exactly who ordinary people are. I do have a few friends that aren't like celebrities or anything that made around $50,000 each um, off of NFTs. So I did see people capitalize, but I do agree that some very large scale people are as well. Um, but I also think that, you know, NFTs uh, are in their infant stage. And I think that that comes to things from different reasons. I think right now we're looking at more of like uh, artwork NFTs, right? Like they call them, I think the avatar NFTs where you're just buying it to maybe post it as a picture or something. But there's obviously a lot of use cases that can come into effect. And I think what things are going to happen is things are going to shake out and then the use case ones will rise. So I actually did a podcast earlier today with an artist named uh, Dill, uh, or sometimes people call him Famous Dill. And he had a song back in 2016 that blew up. It was called Jordan Belfort. It was about the uh, rap artist, or not, it was about the um, the con artist, uh, Jordan Belfort. Yeah, um, Wolf, of, Wolf of Wall Street. Yes, the Wolf of Wall Street. And his song went viral. And he has been in the NFT game for a little while now. And what he did was he NFT'd his songs. And so he has the song, you buy it. It's got, he's got like original music that you get on the NFT. He's got artwork that moves on it. And then what he's building now is if you have one of his NFTs, you can automatically get into a meet and greet at any of his shows. So you can go basically backstage because you own his NFT. And then he's also making a website with exclusive merch for those people. And then also building into his website early like ticket discounts. So like there's actually tangible benefits to buying this guy's NFT. Plus it can go up in value because somebody might think that's worth more. And he said that they've only actually gone up in value. So I see things like that as maybe some of the next stages as people get more useful and get really good with like smart contracts and things like that. Um, but you know, for right now, it's, it's definitely a gold rush. And I just wanted to like, I guess, experience um, a part of it and just buy something in. And I did and I got my taste and I've kind of now just been chilling and working on my thing. And yeah. I, I want to add, add one thing, I think, too. We'll start to see more people get involved as it becomes a little more accessible. Um, from my perspective, having to go through OpenSea and then I had to get MetaMask and I had to buy it. Like, it was like a lot of steps that unless you are familiar to the investing space as a whole, you might not be ready for. However, bringing up both Square and DraftKings, DraftKings now has an NFT um, platform that works with Tom Brady's company. I think it's Signature IO, if I autograph, autograph IO. So I have like NFTs for uh, Naomi Osaka, Tom Brady himself, and others. So I think as that starts to become more of a space, that'll be a, an interesting place for people to be more involved. I think that's where you're going to see a lot more growth. Yeah, I completely agree. And then I think an also natural step is not just DraftKings, but I think it makes sense for crypto brokerages to partner with these NFT platforms. And that way you can have just an NFT gallery within your crypto app. So when I go in and I already have my Ethereum and my Bitcoin inside of Coinbase, and then there's just, oh, here, here's the NFT section. I can scroll, go to purchase, and it just be like, oh, hey, you already have this set up. We have your wallet with us. 
maybe a little bit of a natural connection there. Yeah, it's fascinating because my when I saw the gold rush, I came in towards like the till end. It was end of August. And I was like, well, if I buy this NFT, it's still denominated in ETH. So then I was like, mm, it's still ETH. So it doesn't really matter. Um, I'm, I'm starting to understand it really matters <laughs> because to, to go back into ETH, someone has to buy that NFT, <laughs> right? So then it's, it's, it's so fascinating. So nowadays I walk around and I'm like, hmm, Hans, what's the cost of entry, which was, you know, over 10K? And, and the great thing though is I got into, uh, into projects which, like I, I, I believe our long-term projects. Like I got into a fractionalized uh, CryptoPunk um, NFT project. Uh, I got into um, World of Women, which with what they are doing, I can see kind of like a long-term value there. But at the end of the day, when you get committed to, a, to an NFT and a project, it's almost like when you sell it, you're saying, I don't want to be a part of it anymore. So there's kind of like a catch 22, right? Because if you sell the NFT, you are no longer a member of that community. So there's a psychological and financial component of NFTs, which I didn't consider, you know, you know, prior to going in. But I'm learning a lot, obviously, because of the in quotes, investments that I've made in NFTs, it's forced me to do even more education, um, you know, with that space. It, to your point, it's quite fascinating. And Kevin, with what you said, it's really difficult for the average person to get in because one, if the average person doesn't have crypto, right, they are not converting fiat into, <laughs> into ETH because that's incredibly expensive. Right. When you are spending Ethereum because you already have it, it's almost like it's not like it's not money. So then for the past, like, um, you know, three weeks walking around thinking about the fact that I locked up all of this ETH and Solana in, in NFTs, I'm like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> quite a phenomenal um, experience. So in wrapping up, I wanted to quickly touch on two core topics. So there's this debate, inflation or deflation. Where do you think the market is headed and why? So we'll start with, uh, with Kevin and then we'll go to Gav. We're, and we're talking about U.S. economy, I'm assuming? Yes, U.S. economy. Yeah. Inflation or deflation. Where do you think we're headed and why? Yeah. So I just actually finished an article. I need to actually add the edits tonight for Business Insider on the causes of inflation in the U.S. right now. So it's very appropriate that it just falls in as as, as we wrap this up. So we, we have seen inflation. However, it is based on what we see now, cooling off to a degree. 
The reason why we see this is primarily a lot of the labor shortages and a lot of the bottlenecks that we have in supply chain. And inflation is essentially you have too much money chasing too few goods. The way that I like to describe this for myself is me not being able to get a PS5 because there are not enough chips to create the, uh, enough PlayStations as well as other goods. So people are inflating those prices and it's way more expensive to get one now than what it would have been had the supply been there. Um, you can see this from the used car market. We saw earlier from the housing market, rental cars are also in this scenario, but essentially we're, we don't have enough supply for a lot of the goods that help keep the economy running. We will see a decrease in this in time. We've already seen a slight decrease now, but as the economy opens up a bit more, but also the unemployment benefits are dropping off. That could push more people back into the workforce, produce more goods and bring prices back down to what we've what we're used to seeing. So that's why inflation is occurring. I'm still on the inflationary train, if you will, but I do think it is slowing down and we'll come back down to a normal level here pretty soon. Gav, how about you? I don't have a very strong opinion on it. I certainly think that we've seen inflationary standpoint from anything you try to buy nowadays clearly has price escalated. Um, I also think that there's a dual effect, which I was looking a little bit more into this past week of there's a lot of companies that came up during COVID, a lot of startups, and they effectively priced their services in order to be very attractive to customers. And now that they've kind of proven a customer base, they're moving out of that or even companies that were around before COVID, but they're kind of realizing like, hey, now we need to move into profit because the stock market is kind of teetering and people are not just looking at, oh, like what's your future potential, but they want to see you start making some profit. They want to see you start putting some fundamentals on now that there's all these other short squeezes and stuff going on. So I think some companies are getting motivated to increase prices, not just for inflationary reasons, but also to kind of move towards profit and move away from that low price strategy that they came in with. Um, for example, Uber, which has nearly doubled the cost of most of their rides. Um, I do see that credit card data. I have an alternative data provider. And when I looked into it, it wasn't just an inflationary standpoint of, oh, COVID and oh, less drivers. It was actually Uber deciding, hey, we're going to adjust. But at the same time, we also need to start getting profitable. So they just way increased the price of those rides to try to move towards that. And I can see that being a trend for some other companies. Yeah, um, I'd like to echo off of what Kevin had shared. Um, you know, when you have supply constraints and you have high demands, right? Meaning, you know, let's it could be more cash in the system or more people wanting to buy something that technically drives prices higher. So you have both a supply constraint and 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 huge demand, right? That's definitely going to drive prices higher. I, I am leaning more towards as we come out of COVID, as companies get you know the supplies that they need, whether it's chips or as companies open, supply chains open up. I believe that that you know that supply constraints that we have right now beginning begins to ease, you know, significantly. It's not going to happen like at once, but it eases over time. I also believe that technology is going to drive down prices, right? Because tech is deflationary in nature. And um, over the, the next, let's say, five to 10 years, I just see a lot of automation and, and, and robotics and, you know, so many things occur that will eventually drive down prices in certain sectors. Um, 
So, um, and also when you're looking at inflation, you're always looking at, you're always comparing it to prior years, right? So for us to really have kind of like this in quotes, hyperinflation, which a lot of people are anticipating, that means we consistently have to one, be pumping more money into the system than we did the prior year, right? To be able to move towards that kind of like monetary inflation. Also, it means that the demand for goods and services have to be increasing significantly and, and supply, you know, the supply of that needs to be shrinking over time. So I, I look at all of those factors and, and I, I, I'm leaning a bit more towards like we're not seeing inflation. Um, and even if we're going to see one of those things, there's a likelihood that it could be deflationary, but it's not going to happen in like the next year or year and a half. I view it as a trend over the next give and take, let's say two to five years. Um, but with that being said, if they do pass a $3.5 trillion, (laughs) you know, um, plan for human infrastructure, you know, on top of the one trillion, is it one point five or one trillion for for, uh, for? It's one. One, okay. Yeah. So, so then we're getting close to about five trillion. Obviously, it's being spread out over eight years, so that helps, right? It helps because all of that money is not going directly into the system. So I'll I'll, I'll be looking at that to kind of anticipate how that impacts uh, the economy moving forward. Um, it, I wanted it, to add one, one quick yes. point. It's always important to remember when it comes to inflation that it's it can be uneven. So we've seen car prices shoot up. We saw lumber this year shoot up. However, things like a lot of food and groceries did not change in price at the same level. So sometimes it can be overweight by one or two or three factors. That's something we have to remember. And also it's always important to, when we talk about inflation, to really look at the main causes. So when we saw housing prices explode, it wasn't all it wasn't just because of lumber, but it was also because number one, you can't build a house overnight. It can take take a while and costs were higher. But also due to COVID, you didn't have the labor force there to congregate and actually build homes. So that always goes back to like what is the real issue here? Why are prices rising? And you can always control inflation by controlling demand. If we collectively decided, hey look, I'll wait to buy a car then prices are going to start to fall down on their own. So it's always about supply and demand and how those two things are balanced. And, and really important to recognize it's not always everything across the board is rising. There have been some products and goods that have actually dropped in price due to how those shifts in, in pricing and demand have occurred. So, yeah. So in wrapping up, the last question is, we've seen all-time highs in the stock market. Do you think we're in a bubble and if yes, you know, take, let's say, 30 seconds to share why. If no, you could take 30 seconds to, to share why. But this will be fascinating for the listeners. So do you believe we're in a bubble? And we'll start with you, Gav. The honest answer is I don't know. Uh, this market has surpassed a lot of expectations. It's been an unprecedented bull run. We had a decade-long bull run, a 20-second bear and then now we're back on the bull for another year, it seems. Um, hitting all-time highs, a lot of things are not based off of fundamentals. 
um, which is interesting to see. There's been a lot of speculation in this market. But at the same time, what keeps me from saying this is a bear market is a bear market means that there is going to be selling, that there's going to be less money coming into the market. I don't see that being the case. I think that there is going to be more money coming to this market. I think that clearly the whales have been more active than ever. Uh, the amount of bullish call options, I mean, I got really into tracking call option activity. Uh, I use quant data as well as unusual whales. And you can just see that there is there's there's a heat for this market and there is a a quench to buy these dips and to add to certain stocks and people are just continuously coming in. So I think that the fundamentals are expanding, right? The ratios are expanding. Um, I'm very hesitant to say that it is uh, going to be a bear market anytime soon, um, but it does have to hit eventually and it will hit hard. So I recommend that people have uh, hedged portfolios and they understand proper hedging techniques. Um, if you understand, if you're trading with large quantities of money and you understand how to hedge with puts, that's great. If not, you know, breaking up your portfolio into other things, whether those be uh, crypto or crypto staking is my favorite hedge where I'm making, you know, six to 9% APY, pretty much guaranteed. Um, you know, I, I think that it's just smart to spread yourself out because um, if you're in 100% anything, even if it's S&P 500, um, there could be repercussions. Thanks, Gav. How about you, Kevin? No. We're we're not in a bubble, and it's you know people always. I feel like there's there's like a guessing game about when the next bubble is, when the next crash is. We just had one last year, and it is rare, historically rare, that you hit two bear markets within twelve months. But my favorite stat when it comes to this is that historically we hit a new all time high in the market every twenty one days. That's it. Every 21 days, we had a new all-time high historically. And that's that's on average. So it's not, you know, three weeks to the day that you see it. And I, I saw a lot of this last year where I actually took a lot of screenshots about how the market was moving last year. And there were times where it was like, this is the great, the greatest day since 1984. This is the worst crash or worst single day uh, drop since 1933. And we saw all that stuff last year, and the market was still up double digits. So I think for most people, you do want to have those protection techniques. You always want to stay diversified. You always want to stay as much as you can long term and never get overconfident with a single company or a single asset class. But most importantly, no. I mean, we we tend to be very short term when we talk about this is the worst time for me to invest when in actuality, when you zoom out, right, Things don't tend to be that bad. I think one thing that they Gavin mentioned that, that stuck out to me is when we talk about getting in at the peak in 2017. Well, the peak in 2017 for Bitcoin at 10,000, whatever it was, is the bottom now, right? I wish I got in when it was 10,000 and it crashed because now it's you know 45, 50, or whatever it is um, at this point in time. So zooming out always helps. If it's a bubble and it crashes, great. I'll pick up some things on the low and I'll, you'll see me this time next year. Absolutely. I tend to have uh, kind of like that long-term mentality as well. Uh, so to echo both points, um, it's, it's that no one knows for certain if we, even if we are in a bubble, like the economy is heated, no one is able to predict when it all comes, you know, trending downwards. And even when it does, right, let's take the S&P, for example, we had a 55% pullback, um, you know, between 2007 to 
the lows in 2009, about a 55% pullback. But then from that point till 2020, we had almost a 400% return, right? So then long-term kind of investing is, is ideal. And, and for individuals, to your point, Gav, who are more of individuals who trade, understanding puts and things of that nature, you know, allows them an opportunity to make money when the market is trending downwards. But for me, are we in a bubble? Um, tech dropped like, you know, technology stocks dropped like 40 to 70%, you know, this year, <laughs> not even 2020, this year, we had value stocks increasing in value, whereas tech dropped about 40 to 70%. Um, some of them recovered, some of them are still, uh, you know, lower. So then is that considered in quotes, like a crash? I guess you could say if, you know, you are heavily invested in in tech, which some of my portfolios were, right? Whereas the super long portfolios were typically in kind of like your index funds and super long-term investments. So then it doesn't necessarily bother me. So to your point, Gav and, and Kev, like being diversified, having a strategy with your investing is definitely the way to go. Uh, you all, thank you so much for this. I really enjoyed this discussion. And for individuals who want to connect with you on social media, Gav, can you go ahead and share your, um, you know, your Twitter handle or anywhere else that you'd love people to connect? And then Kev, Kevin, you can go as well. Sure. You can check me out on a couple of Twitters. Uh, we have the Wolf Financial Twitter. That is Wolf underscore financial. And then my personal Twitter is GAV under, uh, it's no underscore. It's just Gav Blacksburg, G-A-V-B-L-A-X-B-E-R-G. Um, so you can find me at either. And you can find me, Kevin Matthews, at all things social media, at Building Bread, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. I'm shocked that I'm on there, but I'm there, public, and any other platform, you can find me um, under that that handle. You all, thank you so much. And for the listeners, you know where to connect with uh, these gentlemen. Uh, thanks for tuning in, and you all have a fantastic day. Mm-hmm.